In the early 50s in Brazil, a destitute teenage mother entered a singing competition, hoping to win enough money to buy medicine for her sick child. She wore an oversized dress for her mother's and apparently looked so outrageous that the host quipped, What planet are you from? Her immediate response? Planet hunger. Whoa. She won the singing competition. 50 years and some 35 albums later, living samba legend Elza Suarez released what many believe to be her greatest album, 2015's The Woman at the End of the World. Welcome to everyone's favorite show, Louder Than Sound. Our first and only question for the contestants is... What's louder than sound? Theoretical noise particulates from the 15th dimension? What's louder than sound? Uh, nothing, Alex, because of course this is a theoretical question. What's louder than sound? What is two brothers, who are mostly similar, but sometimes dissimilar taste in music, asking each other to listen to and absorb some of their favorite music albums based on idiosyncratic themes that they likewise force each other to consider? That's louder than sound. Hello, everybody. Welcome to Louder Than Sound, a podcast where two brothers who have sometimes similar and sometimes dissimilar taste in music force each other to listen to and absorb albums based on themes they likewise force each other to consider. I'm Jake, and, uh, and this is my, my brother, Charlie, and we are Louder Than Sound. Today, louder we, than sound. Louder than sound. Today, we are looking at change of direction albums uh, by some artists that we like and some albums that we think are interesting. Uh, I my my feelings about change of direction albums is that they happen quite a lot. It seems like it's pretty much part of a natural progression for artists and bands, um, but it's certainly not universal. Um, I just don't think bands want to be known for one thing, um, especially successful ones. A lot ones. of them. A lot of them. I mean, so, some of them do. Some of them just well, keep on trucking. I think there's interest. There's a lot of interesting reasons why bands take different directions too. Yeah, there's, you know, there's the comeback album. Like they kept doing the same old thing, and it kind of like petered out. And they tried something new, and sometimes successful, sometimes not. Sometimes they're just getting creative, relentless. They're at their peak, and they don't know how to repeat their success. So they do something like Kid A, for instance. Totally. But they don't know how to follow up. Okay, computers. So they take a complete left turn. Right. Sometimes it's more one. of a progression, and it's like a bigger jump. I'm thinking of like Remain in Light from Talking Heads, where they were moving that direction, but they made a big jump to Remain in Light. Totally. Totally. There's lots of reasons. Yeah. Um, some bands even just have, like, they sabotage themselves. Bob Dylan did yeah. this, like, several times. He's like, I don't want to be famous <laughs> anymore. But they bit everyone bought his albums anyway, so it didn't matter. Uh, well, there's you the know. Bowies of the world who are just creative regardless. And, you know, I'm thinking of a band like Goldfrap is like that, too, where every album is so completely different. Totally than different. Before. They're just, it's into their, in their makeup, you know. Totally different. Back is like that. Um, I think quite often and uh, hilariously, usually, uh, bands or artists will try out an unfamiliar musical genre that they've always wanted to give a whirl. We're talking <laughs> like blues, electronica, or everybody's favorite disaster for the aging white rocker, reggae. <laughs> This Especially <laughs> the 80s. <laughs> oh, baby. So many bad <laughs> reggae albums. Uh, so in related news, Chaz, when's our reggae revival podcast coming? <laughs> hey, only... Uh, huh? Only Next? After that'll, be, that'll be hot on uh, episode uh, 200. Is that uh, after Louder Than Sound, or is that like... Uh, we should just do it now. Uh, so I, I was thinking the current and Vogue change of direction album is the, quote, Loner in the Woods album. Oh, um, yeah, I mean, that's that's a popular one. It is, but Bo- Bon Iver really did it first on his first that album. That wasn't a transition album. I know, album, I know, but that's so. but that's why it worked. Um, I think uh, Taylor, in, Taylor, in the, Taylor in the Swift... Pandemic. The pandemic has made everyone a loner in the woods, you're well, saying? Well, everyone's a figurative loner in the woods, yes. Yeah, uh, Taylor Taylor Swift just did it, not that 
Not that I am yeah. a, a big Taylor Swift fan, but that was yeah, really sure, a big. really the real. Audience, the audience knows Jake. The audience oh, I knows. <laughs> uh, might be a Swifty. Not sure. Not sure. <laughs> Coming up on episode three hundred of Louder Than Sound. Uh, I think a lot of a lot of change of direction albums where the where the loner in the woods happens is just the person like playing an acoustic guitar and like mm-hmm. aren't, aren't they soulful and everything like that. Mm-hmm. Um, so anyway, there's obviously a lot to talk about for this grand theme that you have chosen for us. Uh, but I'm gonna I'm gonna ask you to tell us why and how Elsa Suarez's "Woman at the End of the World" is an example of this phenomenon. Hey, sure will. Great. So I went with one. I mean, one of the big reasons we're going with these uh, these themes is going to push ourselves into less familiar corners of our record collections mm-hmm. or places that we wouldn't normally pick for episodes. Um, and so this was one that just kind of got exciting to me, and I love this album. But um, it's not, I don't know, one that you normally think about. So Elsa Suarez, I, I should start this out with a disclaimer. disclaimer. Uh, number one is that I don't speak Portuguese. Mm-hmm. Elsa Suarez is Brazilian. She's still living. Um, and I am going to screw up some pronunciation. I did find out how to, how to pronounce her name correctly. I, was, I thought it was Suarez nice. for a long time. It's Suarez. Suarez. I appreciate so I'll that. I'll do that. But I'm going to screw up everything else. I'm sorry. No worries. My other disclaimer is that I was doing a lot of research on this, but there's not a lot of info in English about her. And some of it is kind of contradictory. So in the uh, in the, the little opening there, I talked about the story about her in the sing competition. As an example, I read the story multiple times in multiple places, but it it's she's mentioned to be anywhere between 13 and 18 when this happens oh my a five-year gap so a five-year gap somewhere in there a teenager certainly but no one's clear on that and in fact her actual age is a little bit debated okay some people are a little unsure about what year she was born in is it a situation so, um, is it a situation where she knows or is it like uh probably is it not. is it is it kind of a mystery or something I think I think kind of in general. I don't and I don't know. I get I find I found some interviews. There's just not a lot in English. Okay. She's really well known in Brazil. She's not known well in the United States. Gotcha. So let's talk about Elsa Suarez. So she was born and raised super poor in the favela. I don't know if it's favelas or favelas. I, I like favelas find. better. That yeah, doesn't, that doesn't mean it's right, but I like it better. Of Rio de Janeiro. Okay. Um. Yep. Dirt poor growing up. Her father married her off when she was 12. Oh, that's cool. To a local cool. guy who was uh, probably raping her. Oh, That's lovely. a good way to start this. Yikes. Uh, he died when she was only 21. At that point, she had had six children, one of which died what? and one of which was put up for adoption. Six children by 21? By 21, yep. Holy buckets. Okay. This lady's crazy. Yeah. She's nuts. She's got a lot of reasons to be yeah. awesome. Yeah, could have gone, awesome. a, could've gone a different direction it's for holy her. Holy cow. Yeah. So by that time, she had started, you know, the, the singing competition, which kind of broke, broke things open for her. That had happened by this time, and she was starting to uh, sing at clubs and stuff, so she was starting to do a little bit better. Um, and she ends up, you know, eventually gets a record deal and releases her first album in 1960, which she would probably be about 23 at that point. So this is all in the classic samba genre which is very brazilian style and it's one of those things i think it's hard to define but when you hear it you're like oh yeah that's like that's it yeah like samba that's not like brazil right there um but samba is characterized by a lot of heavy drumming um it uses very afro centric drumming uh kind of polyrhythmic music because it came from over with the african slaves 
Um, I read a masterclass article on Samba, Jake, and we didn't know Oh, good, great, great. <laughs> way, way to put in the effort. Nice. <laughs> so, it's characterized by percussion-heavy, it's percussion-heavy, it's steady hypnotic polyrhythms and repetitive chord progressions, Jake. I want you to know that. Okay. I, you know that. Uh, I already knew all that. Because I care. Yeah. I care. Mm-hmm. Thank you. <laughs> so, she ended up being, she was super prolific in the 60s and 70s, re- releasing at least an album a year the entire period. Um, and she was respected then. She's famous. I kind of like, I try to think of, of equivalents in, you know, of artists that we would know better. She's probably somewhere in like a Nat King Cole or like okay. a, uh, Nina Simone type vein. Yeah. Somewhere in there, every popular entertainer, you know, she's not, she's a singer. Like she's, 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 a she's singer, not like, so it, she's not like, like Sinatra or somebody like that, but like, I, I don't know a, quite that big, more of a she's genre, more of a genre star. Yeah, she's been referred to as the Brazilian um, Ella Fitzgerald. Okay, all right. And a lot of that's because she was very inventive with her yes. singing, too. She introduced yes. scat and other jazz elements to samba singing. She was really doing a lot of that in from early on. Um, she's a singer in the older side where she you know, she has very few writing credits. Mm. This is an older idea where she was really a really amazing singer, but it's not this... Nowadays, everyone's a singer-songwriter, you know? Of course. Well, you have You to. barely find anybody who's a, yeah. who's a performer without being a writer. Like, that's, that's well, frowned on. That's looked down upon. When you're alone in the woods, you'd have to do something. <laughs> There's really nothing else you can do, you know? You know? Yeah. Uh, she became a, she's a pretty big celebrity in Brazil and has been for many years. She had a controversial marriage to famous soccer star, Garincha. Oh, who, who didn't know about that? <laughs> <laughs> so that was in the uh, was that 70s, mostly. He was an alcoholic uh-huh. and uh, had a horrible car accident where he was driving with involving everyone in the car. Sounds like being drunk or possibly on other drugs. And he killed her mother in this car accident. Oh. Her mother died in this car accident. Okay. So every time you see, like, you see all these, like, good things for her, like, spending yeah. her career and doing, and then something else horrible happens. That is horrible. So they separated in the early 80s, and he died of cirrhosis of the liver not long afterwards. Um, and they they had a son together, and that son died not many much longer after that also, which was really crushing for her. Wow. So she spent some time where she left Brazil. She lived in different places. Sounds like she lived in Italy for a few years. Sounds like she lived in New York for a few years, where she was friends with Eartha Kitt, according to one article I read. Yeah. Hey, Eartha Kitt. <laughs> Best friends with Eartha Kitt. I don't know how that just... Santa, baby. Just go in New York and be like, hey, Eartha, it's me, Elsa Suarez. Want to be friends? She's like, hey, yeah, let's do yeah. it. Sounds cool. Hey, let's sing. Again, I don't know how much of this is apocryphal. Like, uh, who knows? It sounds like she's It sounds like she's a living legend. She's a magical person. Yeah, it sounds like Elsa is kind stories. of a, a mythic figure, almost. She is. She totally is. Yeah. Um, so she became less prolific from the mid-80s through the 90s, probably related to her tragedies in the early 80s. Sure. But then comes back in the late 90s and into the early 2000s, has a run of a few albums, where she's taking uh, Samba in some different directions, and particularly combining it with electronic elements. Um, so some younger artists getting involved, helping her out, working on the albums with her and taking things a little different. But then she kind of falls off again. And, you know, it more or less feels like a retirement. I mean, at this point, she's in her 70s. Yeah. So there's that. And so she's very little musical output from the early 2000s until the mid-teens. Uh, one real notable thing that I want to say before I get into the album in question here is in 2000, she was named the BBC Singer of the Millennium. Of the whole um, millennium. Of the whole millennium, along with Tina Turner. The two of them together. <laughs> Slash Tina Turner. Just <laughs> Tina Turner. I mean, Tina, Tina's got it going on. The, you know? Well, yeah, she, well, yeah, yeah. of course. Uh, I bet Aretha Franklin was just 
she just started pounding alcohol after she heard that. She's like, no! She just started, she just started singing. She just, and everyone she in the whole world, from, everyone could I hear her. Like a moment in a musical where someone's yeah. really like overcome <laughs> with emotion and just starts singing this like huge, and that's the one that ends up being dominated. So like, yeah, like, hey! <laughs> From the top, right from, there. from the top of a mountain, and everyone can hear her. And they're like, "Hey, what is that? Oh, I think, I think Aretha's on the top of a mountain again. She's mad." Uh, anyway, yeah, <laughs> great. So that brings us up to 2015 is when this album was released in Brazil, and the title, the the or the Portuguese title is. A Mulher de Fim de Mundo. And I'm sure I butchered that horribly, think, and I'm sorry. I don't know anything, but Mundo, I think, is how the last word goes. Maybe. Mundo. Mundo. Mulher. I'm pretty. I'm feeling pretty good about it. Yeah, she that sounds that good. Word all, she sings that word a lot of, song, yeah, a lot yeah. of times. There the is album. a song called that on the album. So. Mulher, Mulher. Well, yeah, it's the name. Yeah, it's the same name as the album. Right. So that translates out to The Woman at the End of the World, which is a totally awesome title for an album. Can we Very good. That? Very good. It's, it's a good one. Uh, it's Are- just a good one. Again, Aretha Franklin. Very jealous. Very jealous. <laughs> was she? I don't remember what year she died. It was somewhere. Oh, right it was just a couple years. Uh, 2017 or something, I think, or 18. It wasn't that long ago. It wasn't that long ago, no. But time, you know, bends and stretches when you're talking about famous people dying. A That's few years for sure. Ago. Like Michael Jackson. That guy just died a few years ago, right? It was like 2004 or something. Yeah. It's crazy yeah. like that. Anyway, this was her first solo studio album since 2004. Her first album of any oh. kind. She did kind of collaborative album and she had a live album. But it's her first album of any kind since 2008. Oh, wow. So she's been in a, like, you know, and again, it, it feels like it's probably a retirement. And why not? You know, she's in her 70s. Yeah, legend. So really what this came from, it's the brainchild of a producer by the name of Guilherme Kastrup. I'm oh. sorry. So sorry. It's okay. But <laughs> there was this big movement in Sao Paulo. Um, the other city in Brazil that I can name off the top of my head. Oh, in Brasilia. There's three of them I can name off the top of my Brasilia? head. Brasilia? I didn't even know about Brasilia. that Brasilia. Okay. That's the capital. <laughs> didn't know. <laughs> I'm pretty sure. Now I'm like second-guessing it. <laughs> oh, don't second-guess on my account. I'm an idiot. <laughs> I don't know anything. <laughs> I'm pretty sure it's one of those, like, created cities that they just made it to be. Brasilia? The Brazil. capital of Brazil. Yeah, Brasilia. Okay. Capital of Brazil. Good. Sounds Go Charlie. <laughs> I'm right. Right again. <laughs> Don't you wow. ever tired of being wrong, James? Wow. You, well, you know, I what what you really are is an expert on Brazil now. <laughs> I'm an expert on what the name of the capital city of Brazil uh-huh, is. This is uh-huh. really, really what I am. Nailed it. <laughs> <laughs> so um, there was this big, this kind of like hot movement of people in Sao Paulo. And it's kind of translated out to the dirty samba movement. Oh. There's a lot of different kinds of samba. Samba breaks up in a different, and it's, and it's kind of like a national musical style you know and how it breaks up. and i kind of think of like if you think of all the directions that rock has broken sure since it became or jazz jazz or something like that or jazz i mean and even you know to say rock came out in some ways from jazz but you look at rock and how it broke up into i know you get like country and and even rap and all these different things that are closely related but they're so different i think samba is kind of like that where it just kind of exploded and went all these different Mm -hmm. directions yeah, uh, a lot of people consider bossa nova to be a subset of samba. <laughs> That's so, controversial. I gotta say, it's <laughs> <laughs> more slower, more heartfelt. Samba is a big like party music. Right. There's dance. You think of the parades and stuff. Yeah. So Sao Paulo, this movement, um, the dirty samba movement, seems to be f- centered around like taking samba elements and combining them with more rock elements, particularly like post punk and hip hop and 
electronic elements. Sure. And it sounds like this producer kind of like got a bunch of his buddies together and was like, hey, hey guys, you remember how cool Elsa Suarez is? They're like, yeah, we are. Hey, what if we like made an album with her? Can we do that? Guys, 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 guys. They did it. So, so they just, somebody got you know, like, drew straws, and somebody got the courage to talk to Elsa. Like, hey. Yeah. Hey, hey, Elsa. You... Hey, uh, Elsa. Now, um, how? You want to make an album with us? How well known were these guys at the time? Yeah, I don't know. Okay. I don't know. Because so like uh, got... because Mavis Staples came back in kind of a similar fashion, but it was Jeff Tweedy that produced her album. So it's yeah. like Jeff Tweedy can knock on of... your door. I didn't know like if these guys were just. Kind of and like, I, I couldn't figure that. I was curious about. It. I was thinking about uh, Loretta Lynn, right? When Jack White Jack produced it so, yeah. a few years ago, exactly. It's same, that type of thing, thing too. Yeah. yeah, where somebody in similar genres, this person you've always looked up to, just comes in right. and is like, "Hey, that'd be so." Or maybe running him somewhere and like somebody gets up the courage to ask their idol if I can help you make an right. album. And you respected and it. You, re, you respected enough to not be like laughed laughed away. You mm-hmm. Know? Mm-hmm. So I'm guessing it's something like that. Okay. So the the core people, to, over thirty different musicians, were credited in the liner notes. Yeah, there was a lot going on. Ironically, there. one person not credited in the liner notes is Elsa Suarez. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I think her name. She's she's kind of the headline. Her name's on the yeah, post. Her know, name's on the poster. <laughs> the cover art is just her, the name Elsa. Right, Elsa. Which is an awesome cover. Album. It's a great uh, great cover. It's like a so, it's like a logo. It like uh, I know it's totally like a logo. It should neat. be her logo. I think, I think it her. is. So we got people you know such luminaries as Celso Sim, yeah, Romulo Froes, yep, Ico Danucci, uh huh, Rodrigo Campos, know him, Marcelo Cabral, yep, Felipe Rosino, worked with him, and Cusa, next door neighbor, got it. <laughs> but those are the core the core people that are involved in the most every Okay. So, it's just like, it's hard to think of, you know, how much, if this album was made for her and she just sang on it, like, is she the guiding force? And I, one thing that, like, hmm. and it's one of those things that I, I kind of have a hard time thinking about is these albums that are credited to one artist when all these other people are actually the main creative forces. But I don't think it's true in this one. For one thing, she was given around 50 songs that were all written for her by all these different... 50. 50. 50. Five zero. Five zero. And so she listened to them. She listened to all these demos and stuff, and she chose which, chose which ones she wanted to record. I get the impression she was more involved in the, you know, the production and arrangements and the feel for different things. Sure. And then, of course, she sings on all of them, which is the, you'll no doubt agree, dominating force. Well, yeah. That's front and center. Front and center. Front and center. It's big. It's yeah. big. So this album, uh, well, before I get any further here, I'm actually going to just in a moment turn things over to Jake to talk more about the sound of this album, what you thought about this. Hmm. Now, I, we've kind of got this, Jake had not really listened, I don't know if you'd listened to this album at all, I think you maybe, I, I think I put a track by her on a mixtape some years well, ago, yeah. but you probably listened to it once or twice and then never came back to it. Probably once. But Jake has given it some real, some a real in-depth listen, real like deep thoughts on this. And so I'm curious to think, to know what your thoughts are. My opinion so far, I'm, I'm guessing you'll find it interesting because it okay. is a very unique album. It is. And I'm thinking you're going to find it enjoyable because... Sorry, not shake your butt at least a little bit. I, my butt was shaking. I mean, it's shaking now. <laughs> Still. Spoiler alert. <laughs> and, uh, but I'm guessing you didn't like get into it in as big a way as me. So I'm guessing we have a, a point system that ranges from negative five to positive five. Mm-hmm. Negative five being 
the worst album in the world. Maybe like K Fed. K Fed? K Fed's rap album. What's K Fed? Kevin, <laughs> Kevin Federline. I think we have to stop this podcast. I don't know what that is. <laughs> Britney Spears' short lived husband great. released a rap album. This and is it's great. Like the worst album of all time. Thank you for this. <laughs> You're talking, you know what, Elsa Suarez is not dead yet, but she's spinning in her grave. This is terrible. Uh, so, I, I'm taking you down a K-Fed fan, Jake, huh? No, I don't know what that is. Great. Kevin Federline. Yeah, I know, I know, you keep saying that. That doesn't make any sense to me. Anyway, whatever. All right. He's supposed to release the worst album ever. Okay. I have a good friend named Warren who, uh... Ah, uh, Warren. This is a Warren special. He is... Right. He's a connoisseur of So Bad It's Good. Yeah, he, right, right, right. He really appreciates that album for its So Bad It's Goodness. So yeah. that would be like a negative five, probably. All right. And then positive five, you know. <laughs> I don't know. The Beatles, all the of them. The Beatles. <laughs> <laughs> okay, computer, I don't there know. There you go, there it is. So, something obviously uh, amazing. So I'm, I'm guessing you're going to give it a two. All right, all right. A so. Uh, so this is an interesting album for some of the things that you were talking about, uh, because literally my only connection with uh, this is, um, I think it was a top 50 album for Pitchfork, a year end thing. It was, yep. Okay, I and first, I... And I first I, discovered it because of a good review on Pitchfork. And that's I like... It and I gave it a try and I loved it. That's my Christmas is when the Pitchfork top 50 comes out. I love, I love that thing. <laughs> um, and I do remember that you put it on your buy list for Christmas that year, or maybe you put it mm-hmm. on a mixed CD for me. Um, Probably both. And you may have asked me to listen to the album, but I never did. Um, so what? Ke- fun of louder than sound. You have to listen to the album. Well, now I, I know. Well, now I had to. I'm not saying I didn't enjoy it. Uh, so, what kept me away at the time is probably the 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 language barrier, yeah. um, and the connection it might have had, at least in my in my idiot brain, with uh, quote like world music, which isn't always my cup of tea. I think for whatever mm. reason, I I didn't I didn't like um, put it in specifically with a genre or anything. It uh, probably, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to guess about that, especially we once talked about Brian Eno, and I think I got some of your thoughts on, I think it's it comes across as very pretentious, the world movement. Yes, World exactly. music idea, you know? Exactly, exactly. Which, even though it, some it, people just find it interesting, it doesn't have to be pretentious, but it, it does, does feel not. like, you know, it feels like it, it can come across that well, way. Well, and it does, it's one of those things where there's kind of like gatekeepers for it, um, and mm-hmm. it, it comes from a place of folk music and traditional music, um, but it ends up being like, you know, somebody, um, some record label exec or something like yeah. that will be like, here, you know, here's the real stuff. And then we're mm-hmm. forced, forced to swallow it. No, no, uh, you know, no disrespect to the actual musicians and stuff like that. No, um, so you're, not, you're not a pretentious dude. I can see. I, yeah, I mean, just look at push me. Push you away a little bit. Look at me. I haven't showered in days. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Is that something you really want to be bragging about? I mean, I just, I just want to, my unpretentious bona fides are well known. Okay. That's what I want to know. <laughs> Um, so, and, and I actually didn't know because I don't know the album, I didn't know what this was a change of direction from even. So, you know, without like doing a deep dive, like you did about, Mm -hmm. uh, Elsa, I I didn't even know that. Um, but there is a lot going on here sonically, um, with, with my one, my one really good listen. Um, so despite the wholly different language that's being sung, um, I hear folk. And by that, I mean, you know, something that at least sounds like traditional melodies, like actual folk music. Um, not somebody strumming an acoustic guitar necessarily. Um, rock, funk, jazz, um, Spanish influence, Afro polyrhythms, electronica, noise, modal stuff. There's a lot of um, there's a lot of modal uh, uh, melody lines and stuff like that, and counter melodies, and uh, an indie. 
I hear a lot of indie influence, mm -hmm. um, kind of like um, uh, there was a couple like dirty projectors moments for me, like mid mid two oh, thousand, just a little, just a little. I could kind of I could kind of see that. Yeah, yeah, I didn't I didn't I haven't thought that before. Yeah, kind of that you know the crunchy guitars and really precise mm -hmm. you know really precise um, stuff going on everywhere. Um, and uh, but I thought the only thing that really ties it together. At, is her voice, is Suarez's uh -huh. voice, which is mixed front and center, as we talked about, and is extremely expressive. Like, it's a very oh, yeah. expressive voice. It's really malleable and interesting. She's got a really wide range, as well as a variety of ticks and growls and scats and all these other tricks that she comes by. And I, I appreciated that. It sounds like she knows uh -huh. what she's doing. It sounds oh, like yeah. she's been singing for a long time. It's like, mm -hmm. it's probably like if Ella Fitzgerald had lived, you know, a lot longer. It's like, right. you get these bag of tricks and she uses them. I think she uses like all of them. I don't know what she I'll, left. I don't know what she I'll left in the tank. I'll throw one thing here. <laughs> I know, I know. She's just, yeah, she's phenomenal. She went for and it. And there is, I don't know if you picked some of this. There's a couple songs where there are duets with some of these dudes. Right. Uh-huh. Yep. And they just can't keep up with her in the slightest, like coming no. over. Not that any of them have bad voices. They don't. No. It happens. There's like two songs that are really full on duets right in the middle of the album. But they're just not her. And so listen to them, it feels like so, they feel so slight and so little, like they don't belong there. Yeah, right, right. I and mean, some people's voices are just like that. It's like God-given. You're not gonna, you're not gonna, and plus her experience. Um, right, I and mean, she was 79 years old when they were recording right. this album. And she shows up between the ages of 13 and 18 and wins the singing competition, like, right. without yeah. any experience she's at all. So she's, ago. you know, she's, she's pretty special, her voice is. Um, I thought, you know, sonically, the rest of the, the rest of it, um, besides her voice was really, it sounded carefully constructed. You know, there wasn't a lot of wrong notes in there. It didn't sound sloppy or anything. I and mean, it sounded fun. You know, the, the Samba influence, you know, the butt was shaken. Not going to lie. <laughs> um, on one cold but careful listen, my favorite tracks were the title track, which I think does a good job of introducing the feel of the album very well after the, after the, uh, uh, the solo um, vocal performance that she gives on the first, on the first mm -hmm. track. Yeah, there's the acoustic there, yeah. Um, as, well as, as well as the song uh, O Canal. I want to say it's Canal, Canal. Somewhere on the back half of the album. I thought that was just a really nice... It, it hangs together the nicest, I thought, of, of the rest of the tracks. Um, I like the album, um, but I don't think I would put it on very often um, in the future. And I don't think I'm quite experienced enough yet as a critic to really explain why. Okay. Uh, it's like... Without her voice, I think it would just be kind of like a, a really precise Dirty Projectors album to me. Okay. But with Spanish influence, or Brazilian, yeah. I guess, uh, more specifically. Uh, but nonetheless, I gave it a 1.0 out of 5. Huh. And, uh, and I do understand why it was more critically adored than what I, than what I gave it. Um, and it, sound, it actually sounds like an achievement, you know. And I really, did, you know, after hearing you, you talk about the, the whole story... Um, that's a familiar but really like heartwarming kind of uh, arc in 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 somebody's career when mm -hmm. you know, things not you don't have to necessarily be destitute or something, uh, but to but to have but to have uh, musicians like treat you with respect and carefully construct something for you that mm -hmm. will that will make you um, you know kind of come back to the forefront and make a good album. That's you know I can't. I'm not going to knock that. Who would knock that? <laughs> Jerks. That's who. Yeah. Come on. And I'm not one of those. We already, we already no. covered that. No. Well, no. You could be a jerk without being pretentious. It's possible. Yeah, that's true. An unpretentious jerk. All right. So my thoughts on this, I love this album. I listen okay. to this album all the time. Um, I, I mentioned her, I, my, her singing is phenomenal, and we talked about that already. 
Um, I actually dove into her lyrics like more than I have before. The uh, American version of this, which came out in 2016, does have English language translations of the lyrics in it. Oh. And the lyrics cover some big subjects. Mm. It's covering racism, there's sex, domestic abuse, um, there's homophobia. There's all kinds of stuff in here. Uh, I got a quote from her from an interview she did with Vice for 2017, and she says, What inspired me to make this new record was the ability to address issues that I think are important, such as racism, homophobia, abuse to women. We can't keep quiet about these things. We need to yell and wake up those who are sleeping. Okay. She's a she's a firebrand today. You know, no, Absolutely. She's, she's still around. She's Absolutely. just like not putting up with it. There's a lot of kind of conservative leaning stuff happening, more aggressive stuff happening in Brazil right now. Okay. Um, especially anti-LGBT stuff that's gotten mm. pretty violent and, mm. and more state san- state sanctioned type stuff that's kind of a little bit scary. And she's been a very loud voice against that kind of stuff. And she's used Good. her platform for that. Yeah. Um, I was interested in some, again, looking through the lyrics, some of the song structures was interesting compared to American music or Western, more, you know, Northwestern music, I suppose you'd say. Um, in that there's no real chorus in these songs. Mm-mm. But the lyrics are frequently repeated. And more than one song, it's like she sings all the lyrics and then just starts over the beginning and sings all the lyrics the second time. Right. Like that's just, that's the song. And it's, and it's so interesting that, that that's not, you know, how we would do that's not a common way to do lyrics in no. you know, North America. It's like they're meant to keep the dance going. You know, you just keep yeah, on, you yeah. just keep on and going. Even, and, but they're not. You know, it's not like a eight minute long remix or something. All these right. songs are tight. You know, the longest one's about five minutes. And most of them are three, four minutes. Um, but I also love the the combo of the samba and the post rock and electronic and hip hop elements. It's just I like experimental music. I like stuff that I've never heard before. And I remember listening to this and thinking this was not something I'd ever heard before. Okay. Uh, Financial Times called. Uh, one song, Tropical Fugazi. <laughs> that was an interesting one. Tropical Fugazi, okay. Uh-huh. Right on. The Guardian described her as sounding like Eartha Kit backed by Public Image Limited. Okay, okay, all right. <laughs> People are working, getting getting into their bags of <laughs> oh, bands yeah, they're here. they're really working hard on yeah, this. Yeah, they're working it. <laughs> but it overall got really good reviews around the world um, and did bring her much more to the forefront in Brazil, but also more... In the world, I and mean, I never would have heard of her if I went sure. to the album. Yeah, there you go. So I give it a four. Woo, daddy. A five to five, top five. You I are, give it a four. You are, you are in yes, love I with really it. Loves, I really you like should, this album a lot. You should I marry do. it if you weren't already married I to a human. Would, I would, but I'm already married. That's uh-huh. the problem. Yeah. Illegal. Well, you can't do it. Illegal. So one final note on here. She did follow up this album with 2018's Deus e Mohra, which translates out to God is Woman. Oh, wow. With the same... Which another like attractive title right there? Oh yeah, she's right up in your face. Boom. With the same core team as uh, "Women at the Edge of the World," and it's okay. almost as good. It's like maybe one notch below, but just as you know, interesting. The same styles. Uh, my favorite Elsa Suarez Suarez song is actually on that one, um, but I like this album better. Just to teach better. Okay. And then she released another album with a different team, kind of in the same vein, in 2019, called "Planeta Foma," which translates out to "Full Circle, Jake." planet hunger well there it is it all comes mm-hmm. back it all comes back wow all right jake uh give us a little intro this uh, that finishes yeah. up this episode tell us a little more tell us a little more what's about hap- what's happening next time all right so next time we're going to continue with our theme of change of direction albums um and i had i had five albums that i was thinking about doing but i didn't do so i'm going to give those to you right now i was thinking about pearl jam's no code i was thinking about rem's monster I was thinking about Willie Nelson's Stardust, where he started singing jazz standards. Uh, Wilco's Sky Blue Sky. 
Uh, Radiohead's Kid A, we already mentioned that. Chelsea Wolfe's Unknown Rooms. Uh, Ray Charles's Modern Sounds in Country and Western, Volume 1. And of course, this is Iron... more than five, Jay. I know. And also, Iron and Wine's <laughs> The Shepherd's Dog. I can't count. Uh, we, already, we already discussed that. Uh, but I didn't do any of those things. What I ended up talking about is Bruce Springsteen's Nebraska. One of the top, what, five Change of Direction albums, you know, well-known Change of Direction albums out there. So we kind of kind of go in a different direction. We went yeah. from uh, from this album, which is almost unknown, very very under the radar outside of Brazil. Right. But uh, over to like a one that's a Stone Cold classic, but one that I had not listened to. Exactly. And so I'll prepare for the next episode. That's why we felt like, um, hey, you know, this will be a little something different for Chaz. That's right. There you go. So go. we will see you next time for Bruce Springsteen's Nebraska on Louder Than Sound. <laughs>